battle. You are, I am, everybody who's ever lived. Everyone fights a spiritual battle. You don't always know it. And that's part of the way the devil is able to just have you for lunch every single day because you don't recognize his attacks. You don't even recognize his, his presence in your life. You don't know how he comes against you or why or when. So therefore you spend your life constantly engaged in this battle that you never actually fight because you never fully identify who the enemy is. Now, the enemy is, is always the devil. <clears throat> Excuse me. We never wrestle against flesh and blood enemies. It's never somebody else who's your problem. The devil is your enemy. The devil, he is your problem. Of course, he is a defeated enemy. Christ defeated Satan at the cross. And, and so Satan has no power over us greater as he that is in us and he that is in the world. There's nothing he can do in, in any way to steal back now what Christ has purchased for us. And there's nothing that the devil can do to get to God. I mean, he's already defeated. He can't uh, in in any way come up against an attack or uh, present power that somehow is going to overwhelm the Almighty. The devil is a defeated foe. He knows he can't harm God. He knows he can't thwart God's purposes. He knows he can't interrupt God's kingdom. So the only thing the devil can do is now attack the thing that God loves. And what God loves more than anything else is people. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. So you understand, the devil can't really make war against God. So he makes war against the saints. He makes war against us. So understand, victory belongs to you since you belong to Jesus. Jesus won the victory victory at the cross. So since you belong to Jesus, then the victory that belongs to Jesus belongs to you. In other words, there's no mystery. There's no question. We know how all of this turns out. We win. We win. We always win because of Jesus. We win victories in Jesus, right? We just sang that today. So since you belong to Jesus, his victory belongs to you. There's no way, no way that you cannot win as long as you show up to fight. But that's the devil's strategy. That's his incredible game. He overwhelms you. He paralyzes you. He comes in a door so that you never even recognize that the fight has begun. He's a thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. One last thing. Understand, he is persistent, which means he never stops. He's never going to take a day off. If you think he's giving you a rest, he's not giving you a rest. He's just waiting for the proper moment to come and take you down. He is persistent. He's going to continue to come after you until the day you die. However, he is predictable. That means he has no new tricks, no new strategies, no new games. He just keeps doing the same old stuff. He's telling the same old lies. And that's why in this sermon series, we can look back together in the Old Testament even to these showdowns, these places where a hero meets villain. And we can see how the, the devil works in the lives of evil people from all, uh, from ever since the beginning. And we can begin to understand if this is how he attacked God's people back then, he's predictable. That's still how he attacks God's people. So in the same way that he comes against Job or Samson or Cain or in all the stories that we've told David with Saul, in all of these instances, the way the devil worked then is still the way the devil works now. He's persistent but predictable. So one more showdown today in the book of Job. This is one of the clearest, one of the most puzzling, one of the most beautiful showdowns ever. This is not Job and somebody else. This is Job with Satan, the masked taken away. So let's uh, take a look today at Job chapter 2, the greatest showdown of all, Job versus Satan. Let's go. Let's listen to Job's story, Job chapter 2. One day the members of the heavenly court came again to present themselves before the Lord, and the accuser, Satan, came with them. Where have you come from, the Lord asked Satan. And he answered the Lord, I have been patrolling the earth, watching everything that's going on. 
Then the Lord asked Satan, have you noticed my servant Job? He is the finest man in all the earth. He is blameless, a man of complete integrity. He fears God and stays away from evil. And he has maintained his integrity, even though you've urged me to harm him without cause. Satan replied to the Lord, skin for skin, a man will give up everything he has to save his life, but reach out and take away his health and he will surely curse you to your face. All right, do with him as you please, the Lord said to Satan, but spare his life. So Satan, so Satan left the Lord's presence and he struck Job with the terrible boils from head to foot. Job scraped his skin with a piece of broken pottery as he sat among the ashes. His wife said to him, are you still trying to maintain your integrity? Just curse God and die. But Job replied, you talk like a foolish woman. Should we accept only thing, good things from the hand of God and never anything bad? So in all this, Job said nothing wrong. When three of Job's friends heard of the tragedy he had suffered, they got together, traveled from their homes to comfort him and console him. Their names were Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Naamathite. They saw Job from a distance and they scarcely recognized him. Wailing loudly, they tore their robes and threw dust in the air over their heads to show their grief. Then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and nights. No one said a word to Job, for they saw that his suffering was too great for words. It's really one of the most mysterious books in the Old Testament. We know very, very little about Job. We really don't know where Uz is. It's apparently the place where he lived, the land of Uz. We don't know anything about that place. Um, There's very little in the book of Job to help us find it chronologically or geographically. The name Job itself, I know that, you know, most of your life you probably called it Job. <laughs> it's spelled Job. Uh, Job. Uh, it's a Hebrew name. We don't know anything about really what it means. Uh, it's connected to words that have to do with enemies, with, with its passive form. So uh, you could say that Job's name means something like he has an enemy or even like something like persecuted. So in a sense, his name has to do with that idea of being opposed, having an enemy that comes against you. But But that same word is also related to other Semitic languages. And in those languages, the word typically has to do with with the father. And so there are those who say that Job's name literally means something like he has no father. or, Or his name could even be a question. And the question can be, where is my father? Interesting. Job's name could mean, where is my father? By the time we find Job in chapter 2, he's already already had a test. If, if you're familiar with the story, you know how in Job chapter 1, the same thing happens. The devil comes and receives this permission to go after Job, and that's exactly what he does. In, in the first chapter of Job, you have to read it for yourself if this is new to you. In the first chapter of Job, Job loses everything that he has, everything that he owns. He loses all of his wealth. And also, on the same day, he loses all of his children. All of his sons and daughters die in a single day. So, already, Job has suffered so much. But Job has remained faithful. And that's something of the theme of the book. How much can one man take? How hard is it to maintain your faithfulness? So, at the end of chapter 1, Job has passed this test. And he says, I came naked from my mother's womb. I'll be naked when I leave. The Lord gave me what I had. The Lord has taken it away. Praise the name of the Lord. And the scripture says, in all of this, Job never sinned. He never, ever sinned coming out of this. So, so coming out of that suffering, Job 
wins the, the prize, it, it seems. He has managed to pass the, the test of suffering with these flying colors. And, and you would think that at this point, that would be the end of a really good story. The problem is, that's not the end of the story at all. That's the beginning of the story. And you would think that for all that happened to Job and Mrs. Job in chapter 1, that, that, that surely now things are going to get better. I mean, things have to eventually get better, don't they? But, but that's the thing. That's the thing about the book of Job, and that's the thing about our lives. And that is just simply that the troubles that come, they often just keep on coming. That, that suffering, that trials, that, that testing, that problems, they often come in waves. And understand, this is the devil's strategy. We talked about this last week. That's the devil's strategy, that, that the test just keeps coming in wave after wave. Job and his wife have already lost all of their children, all of their wealth. They have nothing left, and yet still, the devil comes back for one more. Do you understand? Your enemy is persistent. It's not fair. It is not fair that after you pass that first test, that your reward for that will be the devil comes back to smack you again. But that's exactly what happens. It's not fair. It's not fair. So if you'd allow me, I can help you just a little bit right here. I can help you with your life with just this simple, this simple revelation to you that life is not fair. It's not fair. It's not fair to Job and it's not going to be fair to you. Life just isn't fair. And it's not because God isn't good. That's part of what we learn in the book of Job. It's not that God is not good, and it's not that God is not fair. God is good, and God is great, and God is fair. But understand, Job has an enemy, just like you have an enemy. And that enemy doesn't play fair. He doesn't fight fair. There's nothing fair about the devil. There's nothing fair about the way he comes against you. So understand, in this life, it's not going to be fair to you because you have an enemy who doesn't fight fair. It's not fair. Not fair that Job has to line up for another round of suffering, but here it comes. It's not fair. But oh, my, oh my goodness. Have you never been in that situation where, where you endure suffering and you feel like you reach a point where you can just take a breath? I mean, it seems like things have gotten a little bit better or at least the damage is now done and now you can start to rebuild and move on because often you get to that place where you feel like you can finally take a breath. Finally, it's over. Finally, you're feeling better. Finally, it feels like you can get back on your feet. But understand, that's precisely the moment, precisely the moment where the devil comes back for more. It's how it works with Job. It's how he works with us. So I want you to understand this principle. Learn this from the example of our, of our hero here, Job. Short-term faithfulness will not get you through long-term suffering. Now, many of us, short-term faithfulness is what we've got. We've got a little bit of strength and, and faith, hope, and love, and we got that sort of in our purse, or we got that like on a wall, like one of those in case of emergency break glass, like we have a, like a little bit of faith laid back in, in, in case we need it, or we got some strength kind of stored up for when times get hard, but, but understand, what we have is kind of a short-term faithfulness. We got enough to get us through a little bit of a rough patch. The problem is, sometimes what we're called to go through is a little bit more than a rough patch. For Job, the season of suffering that we thought surely was over with chapter 1, it turns out there's like 40 chapters of this book, y'all. And round 2 starts right here. 
And and what Job has to have is something more than just short-term faithfulness because his suffering is going to be long-term. Sometimes as believers, we have this very naive assumption that problems won't last long. We have this very naive assumption that as long as we're faithful, as long as we're good, as long as we go to church and we, we, we put money in the offering plate, as long as we you know, you know, live right and be good neighbors, as long as we're good people, that our problems, if we have them, they'll never be bad and, and our problems will come and then go away fast. Now, that's not how the world works. You may be called on to suffer in a way where it has nothing to do with your faithfulness. It's not about what you deserve. That's a cool thing about Job in chapter 1. He says, you know, I really didn't deserve the good things God gave me, so I don't deserve the suffering either. I'm just going to worship God anyway. So this assumption that we have, this expectation that that hard times won't be that hard and, and that problems won't last for long, that's not going to serve you well. You really need to understand that, that sometimes you're going to be called on to be faithful, not just, not just for a little while, but, but this suffering really could be something that lasts a long time. And even when you think it's over, it, it could turn around and start all over. I, I mean, this is the point. Faithfulness to God is not something that you just get to like turn on for a, for a short period of time, like to get you through an emergency. No, 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 no. Faithfulness is, is not just something, you know, like those of you who really only pray when you have a problem. Well, what I'm saying is this is actually a way of life, and Job understands that. Worshiping God and trusting God and praising the name of the Lord is, is absolutely separate from his circumstances. That's just who he is. That's his way of being in the world, and that's the way Job's going to be till the day he dies. Whatever he gets and whatever he does not get, whatever is taken away, whatever he suffers, he is going to praise the name of the Lord. You understand? Until the day he dies. And you and I, we need about a teaspoonful of that. You understand? That, that faithfulness that understands that sometimes hard times come. And honestly, your life may not even get any better from here. But that doesn't mean your faithfulness must not endure. Understand, that's just got to be who you are. And that sort of becomes the theme of chapter 2. Notice what the Lord says in in verse 3. Have you noticed my servant Job? There's no one like him. Got no one else like him in all the world. He is the finest man. He's blameless, a man of complete integrity. Now, Now, this is the first time in the book of Job that that word integrity becomes attached to Job, but it really does become something of a theme. Throughout chapter two, it is integrity that becomes the focus. Now, think about that. It's integrity that becomes the focus. Notice what the devil says. Well, skin for skin, a man will give up everything he has to save his life, but reach out and take away his health. He'll surely curse you to your face. Will he maintain his integrity? Do you understand? What is integrity? It's, it's character. It's, it's more than that, but, but, but it's character. Integrity is about um, being solid. It's about being one person, like, like a, a solid person. In other words, Job is a man of, of complete integrity. He maintains his integrity. That means Job is the same any day you see him. 
It's not like he's a really, really nice person when everything in his life is nice. And then he's a a really, really rotten, mean, bitter person when things get hard. No, no, no. Job was going to be Job all day long. Breakfast, lunch, and supper. Winter, summer, spring, and fall. Do you understand? Job is going to be Job. That's called integrity. Job's going to have the same faith. He's going to have the same hope. He's going to have the same love every day of the week, good times, bad times. Do you understand? This is Job and this is integrity. And this is what is so rare in the world. And that's why God can say, hey, I don't have a whole lot of people like Job. This is a man that maintains his integrity. Not about circumstances. It's not about suffering. It's about integrity. Now, now this becomes the focus. Why? Because the devil despises that. We're talking now about something that lives in the soul of a man. Integrity is about the soul. Now, the devil can take away his kids. He can take away all of his possessions. He can take away all of his wealth. But the integrity, that's one thing the devil just can't touch. And that's all that he wants. You understand? That's all that he wants. He just wants to get his hands on Job's integrity. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy. And he can steal, kill, and destroy everything else. But it's that integrity. He just has no way to get to the integrity. It's integrity that he wants. It's the integrity that's at stake here. Do you understand what we're saying? You understand how important this is? Because honestly, some of us, it's integrity that's at stake. It's the fact that whether good times or or bad times, you still are the same person praising the name of the Lord, the same faith, the same hope, the same love. I mean, let's be honest, some of you, I know your life is hard and you've been through a lot and having gone through what you've gone through now, you are a bitter person, a bitter person. The divorce took it all out of you, you say, and turned you into a different kind of person. The pain that you suffer now physically, it's, it's taken a lot out of you and now you're a bitter person. It's hard for you to be patient. It's hard for you to be joyful. It's, it's changed you. So it's what I'm telling you. Integrity is that, that part of you that is supposed to be solid. It's not supposed to change. So notice, notice how the test plays out. Mrs. Job makes her appearance in verse 9. God, God bless her, y'all. Y'all don't be hard on Miss Job. Honestly, the book of Job doesn't say a word about her suffering. But y'all, she lost everything too. She lost all of her kids too. She buried all 10 of her children in one day, you all. I mean, Miss Job lost everything too. She's lost all of her wealth too. She got nothing. She got nothing. So, so what I say next, I, I, I understand this woman has suffered much. But, but in the suffering, something's happened to her. Notice what she says. Notice what Job says. His wife said to him in verse 9, Are you still trying to maintain your integrity? Understand the focus is integrity. Why don't you curse God and die? This is his wife talking. Thank you, sweetheart. You know, she is at least a court low in encouragement right, right here. You know, why don't you just curse God and die? Let's get this over with. You know, life ain't even worth living anymore. Curse God and die. What are you hanging on to exactly? But notice what Job says to her. You're talking like a foolish woman. I understand in the Old Testament, foolish is not a fool is not typically just like an idiot or moron or stupid, like we would say, like a stupid person. 
Fool is usually a person who doesn't believe in God. So what Job says here is, you know, honey, you're talking like, you're talking like a woman I don't even know. You're talking like, you're talking like a woman who doesn't even believe in God. Honey, you're talking like somebody I don't even know. And this is what we're ta- this is what's at stake here. You don't become a different person. You don't become a bitter person. You don't become a person who's lost their faith, lost all their hope, lost all their love. You, you understand? There are some things the devil might be able to take away from you, but your integrity is the one thing you have to cling to because this is the important thing you have to know. A person, a person who maintains their integrity cannot be defeated. You can take Job's money, you can, you can take his house, you can take it all, but you can't take his integrity, and for that reason, you will never defeat him. And the same is true for you. In the battle you're facing right now, if you would just simply hang on to your integrity, cling to your faith, your hope, your love, you just continue being the same person, praising God in good and in bad. You just keep on being the person that God created you to be. Do you understand? And the devil cannot defeat you. He cannot defeat a person who maintains integrity. So understand, the devil, he cannot defeat you. He cannot defeat you as long as you maintain integrity. He may not be able to defeat you, but that doesn't mean he will not continue to accuse you. And that's exactly what he's going to do. And we talked about Job and what the meaning of his name is, but we tend to think we know we get a grasp of what Satan means. Um, And this particular passage in the book of Job the Hebrew term for Satan actually means accuser. Some translations actually use the word accuser. But it's not a proper name. He's not, that's not his name, Satan, or accuser. It's the accuser, the Satan. And that's how it's referred to throughout this book of Job. Because Satan is the accuser. He's the enemy. And, and, and so this whole series that we've been doing the past several weeks, we see heroes and villains. And we've identified these individuals throughout Scripture and their people. Uh, the, the hero is a person, just like Job, but, but, and, and the villain has been a person. But here we see the true enemy, and that's Satan, the accuser. All of those villains that we've identified in, in Scripture are, are just people that Satan has been using. And our battle is not against flesh and blood, but our battle is against the powers of evil in our world. And so we have to identify Satan as the accuser, as the enemy of all of our lives. And, and he may not have the power to change you because we know he has no power over us, but he does have the power to accuse you. He wants to create doubt in your life. He's the creator of doubt. He wants to, to create just enough doubt that he can slip his foot in the door of your heart, like we've talked about, and get a foothold and then begin to create havoc within your heart. And so if he can find anything, whatever your weakness might be, to accuse you of that you're not good enough, that God doesn't love you enough, that nobody cares about you, or maybe the trick is that he's going to tell you that you're strong enough to handle this on your own. You don't need God. You don't need anybody else. Whatever it is, he's going to accuse you enough to begin to create doubt in your relationship with God, to create doubt in, in what you think God is all about, or even if you believe in God. And so it, he gets in our minds, and our minds have a way of working against us when, when we start thinking and when we start overthinking and we let the words of Satan, the accuser, enter in. 
And he wants you to believe there's no hope. He wants you to believe that there's no God. He wants you to believe that you're all alone in your suffering. Nobody is dealing with this, so don't talk about it. And he wants you to, to not share it. And if you do happen to find someone who, who, who shows that they care, he wants you to, to tell you that you, you're too far gone. Don't worry. Don't, don't reach out. You're a lost cause. So we cannot believe the accuser because he is a liar. He's, he, he's a father of lies, as we have said. He, has, he wants nothing more than to take your integrity from you so that he can destroy your life. And so in this particular passage in, in, in Job's life, he's Satan, the accuser. He's accusing Job of being selfish. You know, he's, he's saying, you have been through all this, and yes, you, you've made it through this horrible tragedy. You've lost all your children and, and your wealth, and it, you know, it, it, it's horrible, but you've remained faithful because it's not you personally. That's what he's telling Job. You know, you, he, Satan says to God, you know, if you take his health away, he's going to curse you to your face. So... He, we have to realize that, that our bodies are weak, and so Satan will use your body to get to your soul. Our bodies are temporary, and we can suffer through loss. We can suffer through tragedy all around us, chaos swirling around us, and, and we can hold on to that faith. But once we start to become ill ourselves, once our body begins to break down, it's a whole new perspective on, on life, right? It's a whole new perspective on, on trouble, because that doubt begins to come in. What if I can't get past this illness? What if this illness affects me for the rest of my life? What if there's no cure? What am I going to do? What if this changes my abilities? So that doubt and that fear begins to well up inside us, and Satan has his foothold and has his hand on your heart. When you're sick, you're vulnerable. We're, we're in a different state, not only physically, but mentally, we're in a different state. And so we're desperate for a cure. We're desperate for, for healing. We're desperate for uh, you know, a, someone to relieve the pain that we might be feeling. And so when, when our quality of life is threatened, we have a choice to make. Am I going to just give up and blame God? Or am I going to hold on to the integrity and the faith that I have that has gotten me through other battles and trust that God is going to take care of us? You know, it, it's... You come to church and you, you read scripture and as believers, we, we often told the, oftentimes told the same thing, you know, just have faith, hold on to that faith. And, and it can oftentimes become a little bit cheapened because we just throw that out there sometimes. But there's such truth in that. That's, that's reality. Sometimes we don't know what's going to happen. Sometimes we can't control, most of the time, we can't control what's going on in our lives, especially when it comes to our health. But we have to remain faithful. It's a choice we have to make. It's not easy. God never said, you know, follow me and everything's going to be, you know, beautiful. He, he just said, follow me and I will help you through those tough times. Because Satan is going to attack you. Satan is going to make you sick. Satan is going to use your body against you to create a weakness so that he can get a foothold in your life and steal your integrity. One of the most powerful weapons that he has to use against us is our own bodies. Because it's, it's one thing to praise when the storm's going on out here, but when that storm's here physically, it's difficult and you have a choice to make. But he, he reminds us in 2 Corinthians, Paul writes this, that my grace is all you need. My strength is made known in your weakness. 
His grace is all we need. And again, that's another easy to say, hard to practice, but it's true. Yeah, and this passage in Corinthians was written obviously years after Job, but Job embodied this. He knew that God was all he needed. God's all I need. Whatever comes, I'm gonna have faith in God. And so he did not allow the accuser to get any type of hold on his heart. He did not hand over his integrity to the accuser. So he kind of had victory. He claimed that victory that Christ had, but the accuser wasn't done. He, he had another ace up his sleeve. And, and you see, we, we've mentioned Job's wife. There's not a lot of information about her. And as Tim mentioned, she experienced that tragedy back in chapter one. She lost all her children. She lost her wealth. She lost everything. So uh, we can assume maybe that she was faithful up to that point with Job. But when Job, her husband, became ill, that may have been her breaking point. Because, see, Satan will use our loved ones to get to your soul. He's going to use your loved ones. And one of the ways he does that is when our loved ones become ill, our loved ones become sick. It's one thing if I'm sick. But if my wife or my daughter or, or someone in my family becomes ill, it's a whole different type of struggle, right? It's so difficult to watch our loved ones suffer physically. It's so difficult to watch them and be powerless to do anything. But see, Job's wife had the option, you know, see your husband. This is her husband. This is the only person she had left. Uh, and, and, and he was now ill with a terrible Affliction and he's in agony and in pain, and she's watching this, and she couldn't take it. She lost her faith and gave over her integrity. Now we're not dogging her. We don't we you know walk a mile in her shoes. I'm sure it's it was a difficult road, but she gave over her integrity. But Job, he he's asking her, he replied, you know, should we only accept good things from God and not the struggles? You know, it's so easy to praise God when things are going well, right? It's so easy. And we might even at times think, okay, yeah, I'm living a good life. This is, I deserve these good things. I deserve blessings. We all feel like we, we deserve good things. But then when the bad things come, I don't deserve that. When the reality is, as, as Job points out, we didn't deserve the good. We sure don't deserve the bad, but we didn't deserve the good either. So if I'm going to praise God when I'm getting things that I don't deserve that are amazing, I'm going to praise God when things aren't going so well. And so he, his wife had already handed over her integrity, but Job, he chose not to. He realized that even though he didn't deserve this suffering, he also didn't deserve the blessings that came first. And for Job, it wasn't always, it wasn't just about his body, and it wasn't about his love for his wife. That was never in question. It wasn't about the pain he was feeling, either physical or emotional. It came down to the, the, the other heroes that we've talked about in Scripture over the past several weeks. It came down to his heart. And he had given his heart to God. And if you remember, whatever God has cannot be taken away from Satan. So if you give your heart to God, he cannot be snatched away. It doesn't mean that life's going to be easy. You know, it's not a free ride to, to Smoothville. It's just, a, it's just a, that God is going to be there for you and with you. You know, Satan's aim, the accuser's aim is to take away our integrity, to defeat you in any way that he can, mind, body, spirit, every angle he's going to come at you, he's going to do that. That's his aim because he wants your integrity because if he can have that, then he has a way to get into your heart. But we have to remember that if you belong to Jesus, victory belongs to you because victory is his. 
So as a child of God, you've already won. The battles are tough. The battles may be long, years long. But he's going to give you what you need. Just hang on. Hang on. We want everything. We live in this world where everything is immediate. Right? We get gratification right now. I want this. I want it. I'm going to get it now. And that's how our world is geared. And so when things are going tough and we don't have resolution, what is, what is this? God must not love me. That must be the answer. Or God doesn't care about me. That must be the answer. No, it's just because you've got to hang on a little longer. Just hang on a little longer. However long that happens to be, keep hanging on. Because in the midst of spiritual battle, when it moves from mental to physical or whatever, that victory is still yours if you belong to Jesus. And see, Satan's not going to give up. You may be one of those people who have been through all kinds of battles, and maybe you're, you're in, in, on the mountain right now. You know, life is good. Things are going pretty well. And, and, and so you get a little comfortable. <laughs> That's another trick of Satan's. Get comfortable so I can, you, you won't see me coming. We have to identify our weaknesses and, and realize that he is persistent. He's going to keep coming at us, but he's predictable. So when you identify your weaknesses, what is it that I struggle with? What, is it, what areas of my life am I weak in? Because when you find those, you're going to find Satan crouching there right beside him. He's waiting. He's waiting to get a foothold in your heart once again. And so the battle, it might be long. It might be difficult. There might be a lot of pain and suffering in the process, but it's nothing that God can't handle. Everyone in this room is fighting a spiritual battle. Everyone in this room, everyone in the world is fighting some kind of spiritual battle. For some, it might be a mental battle. For some, it might be physical, an illness, or a family member who's struggling. It might be an addiction. You know, it might be a public battle. It might be very private. But everyone is fighting a battle. Whatever it might be, just remember that the accuser is a liar. He's going to tell you that you're not good enough. He's going to tell you you're not strong enough. He's going to tell you you don't have what it takes. He's going to tell you that nobody cares. He's going to tell you to keep your mouth shut because you should be ashamed. And he's going to defeat you internally if you aren't aware and if you let him. The only way he can win, though, is if you give up or if you just hand it over to him. So don't hand over your integrity to God or to Satan. Leave it in God's hands. Because only in God's hands will everything just work out the way it should. It's, it's one of those images, you know, you see, if you've ever seen like a picture online where it's just really, really zoomed in, really, really close up, and it's just distorted. You don't know what this is. That's our view of life. We can only see so much. But God sees the whole image. He knows what goes where, how it's going to work out, the timing, who's going to be involved in, in, in leading you and taking care of you and providing for you. He knows all of those details. So just let him work it out for you. He wants you to feel alone. Satan wants you to feel alone. Satan wants you to be angry, but God wants to comfort you. Let him comfort you. Satan wants you to sit right there this morning and think, yeah, I'm battling, I'm struggling, but I can handle it. Satan wants you to think you can handle it, but you can't. You need God. You need his, his fellowship of believers. You need to, to, to reach out. So whatever it is that you're struggling with this morning, whether you're, it's internal external whether it's physical mental whatever it happens to be let god guide you through that don't hand over your integrity to satan he's just full of lies because you can handle it with god you are good enough with god you're you're perfect god created you to be exactly the way you are don't let the accuser tell you otherwise so this morning 
Identify our weaknesses. Figure out what it is that you struggle with because that's where Satan is going to be. And whatever battle you might be facing right now, allow God to work in your life. And if you're in that moment of life where maybe you know, you're kind of on the upside and you're not worrying about things right now, things are going really well, just be prepared for the battle that's to come. Where is your heart this morning? Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you so much for the insights you've given us through your word. God, we, we thank you for wisdom. We thank you for guidance and direction. We pray for everyone in this room who is battling. I know we're all battling in different areas of our lives, Lord. So I pray for guidance, for direction, for wisdom, for, for strength. And I pray that you just allow us to see you work. It's so amazing the things that you can do that we can't even imagine. And so I pray that you open our eyes to see you moving mountains in our lives. I pray that you uh, be with those who are struggling internally uh, and, and the lies are coming from the accuser, Lord. I pray that you enlighten us and help us to see those lies and be able to shine you in, in every dark place of our hearts, God. I pray that if there's someone here that doesn't know you, that they would have the courage and strength to just ask questions, to make that first step, God. We love you and we praise you.